0: Would you please turn with me to Psalm 73? Psalm that will be the focus of our study today, Psalm 73. And we're going to read this together. <clears throat> I hear some pages still turning. And that's good. That's real good. Um, and as you find that, I just want to tell you that I'm very thankful to be here with you this morning. Uh, to partake into God's Word together. So Psalm 73 is where we will be today. Let's read this together. God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray, for I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time until they die, and their bodies are well fed. They are not in trouble like others. They are not afflicted like most people. Therefore, their pride is their necklace, and violence covers them like a garment. Verse 7 Their eyes bulge out from fatness. The imaginations of their hearts run wild. They mock and they speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven, and their tongues strut across the earth. Therefore, his people turn to them and drink in their overflowing words. The wicked say, how can God know? Does the most high know everything? Look at them, the wicked. They are always at ease and they increase their wealth. Verse 13, did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? For I am afflicted all day long and I'm punished, punished every morning. If I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. When I tried to understand this, it all seemed hopeless. Verse 17. Until I entered God's sanctuary, then I understood their destiny. Indeed, you put them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How suddenly they have become a desolation. They come to an end, swept away by terrors. Like one waking from a dream. Lord... When arising, you will despise their image. When I became embittered and in my innermost being was wounded, I was stupid and I didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal toward you, yet I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me up in glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart. My portion forever. Those far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge. So I can tell about all you do. Let's pray. God, we've come today to worship you. We've come today to hear of your word. Lord, not so that we would gain knowledge for knowledge's sake, but that we would be changed, that you would work in our hearts, Lord. Holy Spirit, fill us with your spirit. Change us. Cause in us a change that would propel us to go out and tell of your good news to all the world, to all our community. For you are the only one who can save and you're the only one who can bring change. May everything we do today, as we have done and as we hear your word, bring you honor and glory. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, if you have been been keeping up with the reading of the Psalms this month, uh, you might have noticed that today's psalm was assigned last Sunday. But last Sunday, Pastor Noel preached on Psalm 63, so we're just trying to make sure you're, you're keeping up. You know, we're trying to trick you a little bit, but not all the time. Uh, but today, today our, our focus is on Psalm 73. Uh, and this psalm is significant in many ways. Uh, it is in the middle of the Psalter, so to say. Now, if you're wondering what does he mean by saying the Psalter, uh, it's a seminary word we use to uh, talk about all five books of the Psalms. So the book that, the biblical book of Psalms is composed of five books. Um, and Psalm seventy-three is the first book of book. Th- it's the first psalm of Book Three. Pardon me. Um, in many of your Bibles, if you look just below it, it'll say Book Three, and it tells you it's between Psalm seventy-three and eighty-nine. Those are the books that compose Book Three. The Psalms that compose Book Three. I will get it right. Um, and we notice a change. We notice that David's name is hardly mentioned. We notice the tone of the Psalms also begin to change. Uh, from one that mentions David and talks about kingly and priestly things to one more of intense lament. And in a way, we could say that the theme of book three is lament, uh, just because of the amount of psalms that are in there. <clears throat> and something else you might notice is that this psalm is attributed to Asaph. And if you're wondering who Asaph is, um, go with me to First Chronicles 16, uh, chapter 16, verse 4. 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 4, we see that David, it says, David appointed some of the Levites to be ministers before the ark of the Lord, to celebrate the Lord God of Israel, and to give thanks and praise to him. Asaph, there he is, was the chief, and Zechariah was second to him. And if you scroll down a little bit in verse 7, it says, on that day, David decreed for the first time that thanks be given to the Lord by Asaph and his relatives. So we see that Asaph is, just, is not just a nobody. He's somebody whom David entrusted and his family was in charge of the praise uh, in the sanctuary, God's sanctuary. And so this psalm is attributed to him. Um, we want to know what is happening in this psalm. What I would like to do today is go, go over this psalm by sections, understand what is happening and hopefully find an application for us today. Um, and so in this psalm, we find Asaph, the writer of this psalm, as you heard just recently, just being completely and brutally honest. Uh, And he's complaining to the Lord. He's praying to the Lord. Um, In verse 1, we see what I call a theological assertion. So before he gets to complain, he's going to say something very interesting. He says in verse 1, he begins with a statement of truth. God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. So, Asaph is beginning with what, with what he knows to be true, but also what he hopes to experience. And we'll see that as we continue to go along. This expression, this what he says in verse 1, shows his theological conviction and his hope for the future, despite any doubts that are caused by what's going on in his present life. And we find these kinds of statements all over the Old Testament. And then we get to verse 2, and things change a little bit. From verses 2 to 12 we go through what I would like to call disorientation. And he makes a personal statement. Look at verse 2. But as for me, says Asaph, my feet almost slipped and my steps nearly went astray. We see that Asaph is saying, I, I, I almost faltered. I, I, I questioned God's goodness. And we see why he's question- we're going to see why he's questioning God's goodness and the sovereignty of God. You see, sometimes... The reality of our experience of our life with God in the world often conflicts with our expectation of how life should look. Sometimes we can get a little disoriented. As you heard in the testimony today, sometimes just life doesn't look the way we were told it should look. We look around, we begin to question everything that we know to be true, and Asaph is doing this. Uh, Look at verse 3. He says, I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The guys who are not supposed to prosper are prospering. How is that possible? Now, uh, this word prosperity in the original is not quite how we think of prosperity nowadays, like prosperity gospel and all of that. Um, In the original, the word actually used here is shalom. Uh, Now, I'm gonna add to the group that says, we went to Israel and it was awesome. And uh, I'll tell you, everywhere we went, we would say shalom. Shalom has become a greeting that we say to everybody. Uh, it's, it's, it's used as a higher hello, but it's more than that. It means peace, peace be upon you. But in, in the times of Israel, shalom was only for God's people. So the wicked could not have shalom. Now imagine being uh, the people of God and reading the psalm. I mean, blasphemy, how could you say that? But yet... Asaph is being completely honest with his emotions, with his feelings, and he's saying, they're prospering. They have shalom. They have peace. Look at verse 4. They have an easy time until they die. Their bodies are well fed. Verse 5, they're not in trouble like others. They're not even afflicted like most people. Verse 7, their eyes bulge out from fatness like me right now. The imagination of their hearts run wild. Verse 8, they mock and they speak maliciously. They threaten oppression. Verse 9, they set their mouth of it against heaven. They're even blaspheming God at this point and asking the question in verse 11, does God really know everything? Can the Most High really know everything? Verse 12, they are always at ease and they continue to increase their wealth. So we don't know exactly what's going on in Asaph's life, but what he is telling us, he's struggling, and everything else looks great around him, right? Can you relate to Asaph? Have you ever felt that way? Have you said something similar? Perhaps not out loud, but have you thought it? It's interesting what what the psalmist is allowing us to see, his inner thoughts. And then we see here in, in verse 13, he says... He he he, uh, he questions everything. He says, "Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? Did I do this for nothing? Is this all wasted? Was this in vain?" He is burdened and confused. You see, Asaph's current worldview and his experience is different from the one that we find in Psalm One. See, in many ways, Psalm One is the anchor for the rest of the Psalms. I want you to go there with me. Go to Psalm One. And we're going to see what Asaph is referring to. It's a psalm you're all familiar with. Just want to refresh our minds with it. Psalm 1, and we may have it on the screen, I'm not sure. But it says, Psalm 1, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway of sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, His delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree that's planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. There's that key word there. Verse 4, and the wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. And look at verse six. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. So you see, it's the wicked who are supposed to be burdened, right? It's the wicked who are supposed to struggle. Instead, Asaph is experiencing the opposite. In his current view, the wicked are prospering, and he is the one in ruins. He is the one like chaff. He is the one that can be blown away. He doesn't feel taken care of by the Lord. And in his current view, Asaph is wondering if he has followed God in vain and almost lost all hope. Look at verse 16. When I tried to understand what's going on, he says, when I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless. Have you ever felt that way? Then we get to verse seventeen, and oh, this is what I call the "but God" moment, right? This is a verse of transition. Asaph is letting out his emotions, and now we're going to get. He's gotten to where he's questioned the Lord, and now we're going to get to a place where God enters and he remembers what God has done done in his life. You see, in verse seventeen, he says, "Verse sixteen, it seemed hopeless." Verse 17, until I entered God's sanctuary, then I understood their destiny. When Asaph remembers entering the Lord's sanctuary, his longings, his emotions began to change because he remembers the Lord. And then we get to verses 18 through 28, and I call this reaffirming the foundations, reorienting our, our thoughts and our emotions. Because in in these verses, Asaph goes through that process. What he has perceived to be true in these previous verses, where the wicked are the ones winning, where the wicked are the ones prospering, uh, he has perceived that as true in the previous verses amid his struggles, he will now see through the proper lens. He will now see the wicked for what they really are. His worldview is about to be reshaped. So look at what he says. Verse 18, he says, Indeed you put them in slippery places and you make them fall into ruin. Oh, how suddenly they have become a desolation. Now that I see through the proper lens, God, you are right. They suddenly have become a desolation. They come to an end. They're swept by terrors. Asaph then begins to reassure himself of the truth. Look at verse 23. Yet I am always with you. I felt lonely before, but I remember now that you are always with me and I am always with you. You hold my right hand. Verse 24, you you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me to glory. I love verse 25 because it's true of all of us. Who do I have in heaven but you? See, Asaph's theological foundation and, and, and his heart, his emotions are starting to come together again because they were not together. He knew that God is good. But his emotions felt completely opposite of that. He says in verse 27, Those far from you will certainly perish. He knows what's coming. He 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 believes the truth again. He says, You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. So what is happening? What is the psalmist doing in this psalm? Um, I would say he is expressing his grief, he's expressing his sorrow to the Lord. He's dealing with what he sees in the immediate and what seems to be true. He is lamenting. Perhaps you can identify with Asaph and what he said. I know I do. You've heard there have been times in in my life, my personal life, but also in our family when we have questioned, how good is God? We know that the truth is he is good, but our emotions are far from it. Theologically, we know that God is sovereign, God is graceful, He is merciful, and He's all of those things. We know He's for us, but our affections and our worldview here in the immediate and the now seems different. It contradicts what we say, what we confess. And what we know to be true in our minds doesn't seem true in our hearts. This is why knowledge of Jesus is not enough. You have to have an encounter with the Savior our hearts and our longings in time of trouble in time of despair must be reshaped. Mark chapter 12 verse 30 says love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind with all your strength everything that you are ought to love the Lord. It's important that it's that way. And this is this is why I love the Psalms. This is why I love that we're in the Psalms. They're important. Because, and if you're taking notes, here's your first point. The Psalms provide language to help us express our grief and our sorrow. They provide this while while we ask God to lead us to deeper trust in him. The Psalms provide this language in which we can express our grief and our sorrow. We're familiar with the Psalms. Uh, I've heard it before, say that these are the praises to the Lord. This is Israel hymnal. Um, Pastor Noah last week taught on the many things that the Psalms do, and they do all of that. But we live in a culture that desires to feel and look fine all the time. Um, When we go to the Psalms, we go to Psalm 150, right? That everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And it's fine. We we, we praise the Lord. We want to get to praise. But we avoid lament. So the process of lament can seem foreign to us. Think about it, Uh, when you came in this morning, did you ask somebody how they were? You can nod, it's okay. Said, how are you this morning? What did you hear back? Maybe I'm fine, maybe I'm doing well, maybe never better. We are not comfortable with other people knowing our pain and our sorrow and our suffering. At least not immediately, right? This is why community is important. In the community of Christ, we can open up and talk about these things. But I love that we're focusing this on the Psalm because it allows us to look into this topic, to wrestle with the truth of how we're really feeling in a world that is broken, in a, wor- in a world that, that we were told by Jesus Himself we would struggle. And we can deal with the injustices of life with the truth and hope that can only be found in Christ. So it may seem that lament is the opposite of praise. But actually it isn't. Instead, lament is a path to praise as we are led through the brokenness and disappointment of this life. It is a transition between pain and promise. And it is the path from heartbreak to hope. And I hope you heard that in the testimony today. Perhaps we're not there yet, but we're on the path, right? That's why biblical lament is important. Uh, uh, Lament is just expressing your grief and sorrow, but we need to do something with it. We need to reaffirm those foundations. So lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Lament is how we live between a hard life and trusting in God's sovereignty and goodness. It is how we bring that sorrow to God because without it, we won't know how to process pain. Even as Christians, even as the redeemed people of God who believe in the sovereignty and goodness of God, we can often feel confused when suffering comes into our lives. When brokenness comes into your life, then lament helps us turn again to God. It helps us to lift our heads and to turn our tear-filled eyes towards the only hope that we have in this life and the next, Christ, God's grace. Just a question for you to reflect on. Has life gone the way you want it? Have you found yourself experiencing grief or sorrow or is your life perfect? It isn't. It's far from it, isn't it? Have you brought this to the Lord? Perhaps you say, I don't know how to do that. Well, good thing I'm here. How can we lament biblically? So, if you're taking notes, this is the part where I'm about to give you some points to help you begin this, this process, to help you begin uh, this practice. So, how can we lament biblically? Number one. We take notes from Asaph's psalm. And we, number one, come to the Lord with a humble heart. If you're going to complain to God, do it with a humble heart. Remember who you're talking to. <laughs> As my dad used to say, remember who you're talking to. When I would come to him with complaints. Asaph begins this prayer with a statement of God goodness, but recognizing who God is. He recognizes who he's talking to. He says, God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. What he has said is true will always be true no matter how I feel. So come to him with a humble heart. Number two, lament. Express your grief and your sorrow. Do it. Lament with the Lord. Express that grief. Express that sorrow, that disappointment. Uh, Whatever it is that you're going through, tell him about it. Asaph wasn't short on words. He described the world as he saw it and his struggle with it. So tell the Lord how you feel. Be open, be honest, be raw. He is listening. Plus, he already knows. Psalm 139, 1 to 2 says, Lord, you have searched me and you've known me. You know me when I sit down and when I stand up. And listen to this. You understand my thoughts. From far away. He already knows. So we ought to come to the Lord with a humble heart. We ought to lament. Number two, we ought to lament and express our grief and sorrow. Number three, we must reaffirm the foundations. We must look through the proper lens. We cannot continue looking at life the way it is here. We ought to look at it through Scripture, through what Christ has done. When Asaph entered the Lord's sanctuary... He began to see life as it really was. He then understood. Now, we don't live in Old Testament times. We, we know Christ has come. He's died for us. So for us as the redeemed people of God, we look to Christ. John chapter 16 verse 33 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. We have peace in Christ. It says you will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. So we rest in the truth that Christ has conquered death. He has conquered the world. And we remember that he will return for us. He will make everything new and reshape us. So Christ is our hope. So we come to the Lord with a humble heart. We lament and express our grief to the Lord, just as Asaph did. We reaffirm the foundations. We remember what he has done for us, what Christ has done for us. And we trust in the Lord. Number four, we trust in the Lord. Now I'm going to give you a definition. And uh, we all understand what trust is. I think trust is believing what you know to be true, even though the facts of the suffering that you're going through, might call that belief into question. So even though in the now, it doesn't seem like God is for you, you trust that he is because of his steadfast love, because he is faithful, because he is true. So even though right now, whatever you're going through, you may not believe, you may not trust, let let me ask you to trust in the Lord. Now, you need to know that we've talked about lament, we've, we've focused on that today, but it doesn't always lead to an immediate solution. It's not a formula that you plug in all the variables that you're missing and it gives you the, the outcome. As you've heard today, um, my mom, we, we still struggle with it day, every day. It is a walk that we have with the Lord. So lament is a song you sing, believing that one day, God will answer you and that one day he's going to restore you. It invites us to pray through our struggle with a life that is far from perfect. So I ask you again, do you have brokenness in your life? Have you experienced loss? Perhaps you question how good God really is. Or like the wicked that Asaph describes, you've asked, is God really listening? Is he really there? Perhaps you just don't believe that Jesus can understand your suffering. But let me tell you, he can. You see, God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to live the life that you and I could not. And instead of being celebrated, instead of being received with open arms, he was nailed to a, cru- a cross with open arms. He had the weight, the full weight of humanity's sin on him. And at that moment, the father turned his face away from him. He could not look at Jesus with all our sin on him because God is holy. Remember that? And at that moment, Jesus cried out these words from Matthew twenty-seven forty-six. And as we do as we read this, I want you to go to Psalm 22 in your Bibles. Go to Psalm 22. I want you to see something. So while you hold Psalm 22, I'm going to read Matthew 27:46. You ready? Matthew 27:46. You read Psalm 22 or follow with your with your eyes. About three in the morning, uh, three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, "Eli, Eli, lema Sabakhtani, That is, "My God, my God, why have you abandoned me?" What do you see in Psalm twenty-two? "My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance, and from my words of groaning?" Jesus lamented. He lamented using the psalms. In the lament of Good Friday, what happened in uh, in the cross was answered three days later with an empty tomb and a risen Savior. The greatest injustice in history became the greatest display of divine mercy and divine love. Tragedy became triumph. And guess what? Lament was the voice in between. Perhaps you find today lament too honest as I'm explaining it to you, maybe too open, maybe too risky, as if God will be displeased and strike you down. Uh, But let me tell you, there is something far worse, and that is silence and despair. Because silence and despair leads, leads to disbelief and ruin. So I plead with you, brother, sister, Friend, if you're visiting us here for the first time today, if you hear his voice today, if you hear the voice of Christ today, do not delay. Come to Jesus Christ. He suffered for you, he paid the ultimate price, he understands you, and he is waiting for you with open arms. So come today, don't delay. With heads bowed, eyes closed, let's pray. God, we are thankful for your word. Lord, because as we read and as we go through these psalms, you continue to to teach us, Lord. You continue to show us how we ought to deal with the suffering and the struggles of life with eternity in mind. Lord, we thank you for these psalms that provide for us a language to express our grief, to express our sorrow. Lord, I pray that whatever we are dealing with, we may lament in a way that is biblical, in a way that would lead us to praise you for all eternity. God, I pray for anybody who's going through struggle right now, who's suffering. Lord, that they would begin to have this conversation with you. And then we as a church would be there to help. Would be there to assist and to minister. We love you. We honor you. Glorify you. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Please stand.